time for Politics Friday. Nationals Jerry Brownlee with well, us. Morning, Jerry. Good morning, John. And on the phone, Labor's Megan Woods. Morning, Megan. Morning, John. Morning, Jerry. Morning, Megan. Actually, I um I resisted the temptation then, but I but I can't. Uh, good morning, Sergeant Major Brownlee. <laughs> That's very unreasonable. Hey, very hey. unreasonable, given the tenor of your discussions. All on right, radio this le- morning. Le- lieutenant. Then, <laughs> oh, come on, he you can do better be than that. I mean, he wants to be general. Let's not let's he, face the fact. He wants to well, be general. There you go. See, uh, uh, Megan does know which way is up. <laughs> so, so you, as you. <laughs> It would seem then, Jerry, you have been listening and you've heard that I think it's at least worth a shot, worth a go with this idea of the ankle bracelets and the boot camp for young offenders. What, where did this come from? Did you just sit back and think, oh, what's, what's something we can rehash? Or what led to yesterday's announcement? I oh, know there, there is uh, very good uh, uh, factual evidence about uh, how these interventions can work, and there are a number of them. Um, previously, the uh, Ministry of Social Development, so with them, we're, we're running a, a, uh, a thing called a MAC program. I'm not sure what MAC stands for, I'm not good on acronyms, but uh, it had a high success rate with people firstly completing the course and then going into to work. You got stats? Uh, we have got stats. So, as I said to you before, I've just lost them off my screen, but I'll, I'll get them to you. Um, remember that if you are looking at the people we're talking about, they're the worst of what is a significant youth justice problem in New Zealand at the moment. And you, you've got to do something about it. One ram raid every 15 hours. People in this city, I heard just yesterday, people walking past the park across the road here, mm. uh, being accosted uh, and uh, asked for uh, money, uh, small oh, but that's, but that, no, Hold on, hold on. It's, it's, a, it's a million miles away from ram raids. I mean, that happens, my, that, my that happens point, to me on a daily basis. Point. That's my point. Well, that, that, sort of, that you have a lot of people who are going through the youth justice system at the moment, uh, but you've got this escalation of crime uh, at a much, much more serious level. And that has, something has to happen. And I think it's all very well to focus on the punitive side of it, say, well, you know, call them boot camps, call them what? It's the mentoring side, the grabbing hold of people and trying to turn them around. And we're saying that the old three-month programs, you know, they might have been marginal, uh, but let's do it for 12 months and see where we get to. All right, back to the question. When did you come up with the idea? Was it on the hoof or has this been something that's been on the cards for some time? No, it's been on the cards for quite a while. So yeah. how come we haven't heard about it before now? Because that would have been on the hoof. You have to do the work to make sure you know that you can uh, deliver, you know all the ins and outs of it. Uh, as much as you possibly can from opposition. When I spoke to Mark Mitchell yesterday, I asked him, I said, well, what's the military said about this? He said, oh, we haven't spoken to them because we're not allowed to because we're in opposition. So how do you know the military's not going to turn around at three o'clock this afternoon and say, first we heard of this, we're not interested? Uh, well, firstly, I've got huge respect for the New Zealand military and I do know the senior leaders in, that, uh, uh, in the Defence Force. We do meet them Privately, we don't discuss politics with them because they are there to serve uh, the, the government of the uh, the king on any particular day. And so we respect that difference. Uh, but we also know that they are there to serve the government of New Zealand. They make that very clear. They did, for example, uh, without any uh, degree of pushback, uh, embrace the MIQ system and other such. It's what they do uh, and is they, they need to be resourced for it. I also know that when I was Minister of Defence, we had the limited volunteer scheme going. Uh, and it was necessary then to uh, provide the facilities and the, the additional resources that were needed uh, to make those schemes work. And that was a very successful scheme. Me- Megan Woods, you've got to congratulate National for coming up with something, don't you? Well, I look at the evidence, John, and Jerry's saying he doesn't have the data in front of him, but some of the things that we can look at 
um, is some of these schemes for, from the early 2000s when National were last in government, and this in many ways is a bit of a repeat of that. So one of the one of the schemes where 17 young people were sent off to a camp, by 2011, only two of those young people had not re-offended. We've got um, people... Hold on, also, so, yeah, OK. I okay, found the figures, okay. by the way. OK, okay we'll, get, we'll get back to your figure. I don't, I don't want to turn this into a figure talk, because people will just be no, like, I'm oh, not, no. I'm not John, don't worry, I've got no more numbers for you. But Brilliant. the other thing is that in terms of the, the defence force, what we did see in the defence review that came out in 2009, that you, you had senior leaders in the military. So that was Major General Lou Gardner that came out and said that past experience demonstrated that military-style residential programmes which focus on discipline and physical activity are unlikely to produce positive outcomes. Yeah, but I, but I think, but I think, yeah, expert. Megan, Megan, I think National talking about something slightly different. Is that right, Jerry? Oh yes, absolutely. Oh, hang, on, hang on, can I just finish? Jerry had a really good go there. John. All right, okay, um, that, we'll get the timer on. I mean. I think that one of the things that we do know that we, we do have to make sure that we are addressing what's happening with youth crime. No one is disputing that. But I don't want this just to become a kind of the greatest political hits um, with people putting forward what are kind of good political sound bites. We do have to look at the evidence. We have to look at what is actually going to address the problem. And I'm sorry, the evidence stacks up. We're getting it from all the experts, not just in New Zealand, but across the board, that this doesn't actually address what's happening. So, I think Grant Robertson put it. You say when you see we'll get fitter, faster criminal. So what about the um, what about what about the fact that the the young people that go through the youth justice facilities in New Zealand, high percentage of them reoffend. So that's a failure too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But I think we can see such high levels of reoffence coming out of that. That's, um, I mean, I'm going to use those dreaded numbers, John. Uh, when you're sending 17 young people off to a camp, and, and by by 2011, only two of them hadn't reoffended. I think we'd see any program that had reoffending rates like that as a failure, and that is my worry with this system that it has been shown in this country to have really high reoffending rates. It's not going to cure the problem. Do- I think we we heard the opposition come out yesterday and say, "Well, they won't uh, they won't reoffend while they're still locked up." No one is proposing we keep people locked up free, but we've got to find ways to make sure we can have better outcomes than that. I'll get on. I'll get back to that, Jerry. I'm just going to give you the chance with the stats you found. Then that's the stats done for the half hour, right? Uh, yeah. All yeah. right. So they they were um, uh, done in the 12 months after the completion of the uh, of the courses, because that's as far as it was was monitored. Uh, 50% reduction in theft, 65% reduction in burglary, 53% reduction in violent crime. Now, look, those are big numbers. You know, it's far better than the 500% increase in ram rates that we've seen just recently. Megan, you said we've got to find a way. Why aren't you finding a way? What is the way? It's all very well to say we've got to find a way, but what are the answers? So, unfortunately, as in life, John, there's no one simple solution to this. There's a range of things that have to happen. We're doing some work at the moment, and there's um, Minister Hopkins is doing some work to make Sorry, sure with, with the res- Megan, Megan, the right Megan, 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 with respect, I think people are sick of hearing the government saying we're doing some work. People want some results. Yeah, people do want results, but in order to do, get results, you've got to do the work, John. We've got to make sure that the police have got the right tools that this is what we're seeing in terms of these ram rates. This is a relatively new phenomenon in terms of the volume that we're seeing, and I think we all know that, that it's something that we've seen kind of grow over the last 12 months or so. We're going to make sure that the police are well-equipped, both in terms of what they need to police it, but also in terms of what the consequences are of that. So um, there, is a lot of, there is a lot of work going on there. And I'm sorry, John, if you want results, you do have to do work. That's just a fact of life in, any, in the, anything for any of us. Speaking of... Sure. Sorry, go on. 
Sorry, I know you're going to ask me a question. No, I wasn't. I was, uh, I'll let you finish the sentence. What, what were you about to say? <laughs> I've, lo- I've lost my chain of thought now. Oh, that's all right. Still talking crime. <laughs> Megan, there's been um, a lot of discussion this week about repeat offenders, and the Parnell Business Association head wrote a piece in the New Zealand Herald uh, yesterday saying that she thinks it's time that the um, government stands up, shows some, some leadership and takes some of these repeat offenders out of circulation. We spoke on the show with the head of the Central City Business Association here in Christchurch, Annabelle Turley, about this, and she she agreed. And she made a comment about a meeting that she had with the Prime Minister last year that I gather you were at as well in relation to police patrols in the centre of town. And um, just have a listen to this. Here's what Annabelle told us about that yesterday. We were promised the return of those beat police once MIQ ended. Mm. And we all know there's no more MIQ, so where are these beat police? It's a very fair question, Megan. Where are the beat police in Central Christchurch? So there's 122 more frontline police on the beat in Canterbury. Um, That's not the answer to the question. The question so, will... yes, so where are they? There's 122 more of them on the beat. That is the answer to the Where question. are they? Because John, Annabel Turley, uh, Annabel Turley, as you heard, she said to us yesterday that you and the Prime Minister promised her that when MIQ closes, there will be more police on the beat in the central city. Where are they? What, what the meeting was about was the fact that police were being used in MIQ. Once that finished, those police would go back into their regular day jobs, which is being on the beat. Now, it is not for politicians, the Prime Minister or anyone, to, to blo- deploy police to particular locations. None of us want to live in that country. So hold on, so hold on, so hold on, so hold on. So that so, no, so that was a... Com- that was a taking we gave John that was, was a com- that those police would be back on the beat and there are 122 more police on the base in Canterbury than when we came into government. So what you're saying then is that was a completely empty promise from the Prime Minister because when because when it came down to it, the Prime Minister has no right to tell the police where to put their officers. John, what the undertaking? What I'm saying is the undertaking the the Prime Minister gave at that meeting, and you're right, I was there, so I heard it with my own ears is that when MIQ finished, the police that were helping out at MIQ would go back into their day jobs of being on the beat, and that would include in the central city. So that is exactly what has happened. It's the undertaking the Prime Minister gave. What I'm saying is that the Prime Minister doesn't direct where those police are going to be, but it includes the central city. It's exactly what she, the undertaking she gave is exactly what has happened. So the Central City Business Association is wrong with their complaint that you just heard then? There are 122 more police on the beat in Canterbury than in 2017. That is fact. Now, the question was, so the Central Business Association has nothing or no right to complain. Is that right? Uh, I've just heard a soundbite. I haven't had a conversation with Annabelle to get the full context of what she's saying, so I'm not going to say whether she's right or wrong. What I'm saying is there are 122 more police on the beat in 27, in tw- than there were at, in 2017. Is that satisfactory, Jerry Brownlee? Well, I presume that's across Canterbury, which is a big region. Yes, that's correct. So uh, the issue would be what's in the metropolitan area where we're seeing the type of uh, thing I just spoke of about happening uh, earlier this week. So I I don't know those numbers, but I do know that uh, uh, the Business Association are pretty concerned about the fact that even if they make small complaints to the police who are not too far away, they sometimes have trouble turning up. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a range of problems that we've got to get on top of here. Uh, we just can't keep living in a, in a society and in a city 
where people are frightened to do things. Yeah, Megan Brownlee, there's a business owner in the centre of town who told me has told me that he could throw a tennis ball from his business to the police, and he's called the police to intervene, and they don't turn up. Well, uh, I mean, I think that that is um, something that I'm happy to have a conversation with police about. I know that in terms of the local neighbourhood policing that we have around my electorate office for the community cops that we have on the beat around there, for example, I know that when I that when we ring them or if people, the local businesses around where I am or residents ring them, they are responsive. So I think this is probably a conversation that might be worth getting um, someone from police on to have an interview with too to talk about some of those response times because what we do know is that we have put more police into our policing district. So yes, we always do report numbers at, at a policing district, and Canterbury is that policing district. Yes, but Megan, but with, respect, with, with respect, with respect, Megan, really with, re- with respect, numbers are meaningless to people if they don't see the police, and they're meaningless to people if they don't feel safe. I'll tell you when numbers aren't meaningless, John, and that's when you're seeing police disappear off the beat, and that's what we were previously seeing. What we've done is turn that around and increase the number of frontline police that are out on the beat. So I don't accept that numbers are meaningless. You'd be the first person to be telling me that those numbers are particularly meaningful if I was sitting here telling you there was 122 fewer police on the beat. That's a fair point. This is Politics Friday. Jerry, I'll give you a brief right of reply, then, then we'll move on to our next one. Well, after five years of government, you'd expect police numbers to number. It would, would have risen commensurate, at least with population. I know that the uh, district commander for the, the metropolitan area, uh, Lane Todd, is, is a, a man who is very concerned about all of this, and perhaps he would be good to talk to uh, because he, he will have uh, views about what they could be doing uh, if they had the tools to do it. Uh, Megan, if, if, if the government was able, you know, could direct police to go and man or run MIQ, why can't you direct police to go and patrol the central city? Um, the reason why we don't do that is because none of us should want that, John. If you've got uh, politicians... Really? Directing Hold on a minute. Hold on, on a minute. Operations. Hang on, John, let me finish. If you've got police, if you've got governments directing to police about where to go and police, there's a name for that kind of society, and it certainly isn't a free democracy. It's usually called a dictatorship when you've got the, the government directing the police around. We made a request for police to put resource into MIQ. They operationally ran it. I will always defend the operational independence of our police force because I don't want our government or any other government directing them around. It's not the kind of country I want to live in. Well, Megan, with respect, I think most people listening to this will find that a very lame response and I think people running businesses in the central city will find it a particularly lame response. Let's finish off talking housing intensification because, Megan, it seems like the government has sent in the enforcer to bang some heads together at the Christchurch City Council to get them in line in supporting the housing intensification bill. What's, is that? That's my impression. How far off the mark am I? Oh, I think you're a long way off the mark, John. Uh, what we have sent in is John Hardy. Of course, the, Christchurch is the only council um, that hasn't submitted its plan in terms of the median density residential standard. Um, there, there is a law that says they need to, but rather than be heavy-handed with it, that we've asked John Hardy, who's an environmental lawyer, but also a mediator, to come in and try and um, 
um, understand exactly what's going on, um, see how it is that we can constructively um, make this work from both sides. So this is actually a way forward um, that is not being heavy-handed. It's a way of working with Christchurch City and finding ways that um, that we can get Christchurch City complying with the law. Um, doesn't matter if the law was voted on by all parties in Parliament, but um, it was voted on by you know National Labour, the, the Greens, and and the Māori Party. Um, but it, nonetheless, it is the law. So I mean, there has to be a way through it when you have a, a council that's not complying with the law. So you, sounds pretty heavy-handed to me. So you got a mediator, mediator going in. What objective or KPI have you given him? So there's a there's a terms of reference that I don't have sitting right in front of yeah, me. Yeah, but what's his, really what's the main aim of his job? What's the main aim of the job? Oh, so, yeah, that's what I was in the middle of saying, John. So the, the main aim of the job is really to understand the perspective of council, where they're coming from, why they haven't complied, what their concerns are. This is far from heavy-handed, John. This isn't going in and saying, um, you have to comply and you have to comply now, submit the plan. It's actually saying, we're, we're actually, we're bringing someone in who's, a bit, who's independent. It's not the government, it's not council that can seek to understand the perspectives of both sides and find a constructive way through. This is the way that um, any organisation outside government um, would seek to deal with, with a situation like this, and it's what we're doing. Jerry, when you guys supported this, was this heavy-handed approach something you saw happening? Uh, I was was of the view that Christchurch had uh, a very good plan uh, for intensification. And if you look at all the development that's gone on over the last few years, it has caused a bit of angst in some places. All of that is done under the existing plan that Christchurch has. Now, I suspect that uh, there's always a gap between the legislation and the implica- uh, implementation of that legislation. There's probably a massive tick box exercise somewhere that makes it difficult for Christchurch to comply, even though we've probably got the best residential density plan in the country. So, do you say? So, I hope, so, I hope, so, are you saying that you support the Christchurch City Council when it says it deserves to have its own version of this? So, a boutique uh, version of it because Christchurch is special. Is that what you're saying? Well, I wasn't in the room with Megan Woods when uh, the, the discussions took place, but I was uh, involved in discussions outside of that with their own people. And my strong av- advocacy then was that look at Christchurch because we have done some things here uh, that have uh, meant we've got a better housing situation than the rest of the country. And we have a very good intensification plan uh, that, that uh, designates areas within the city where that activity can take place. So I suppose I was of a view that that's where the plan was heading. So we've got to wrap it up. So you, Jerry Brownlee, do you support the concept of three three-storey properties on one section anywhere in town? If they comply with the 50% site coverage only, if they comply with the building codes, with the uh, residential uh, uh, recession planes that are in place, they can do that now. Megan Woods, do you support the three three-storey properties on one section model? Um, where it makes sense, and that's exactly what the medium density rules do. It's not everywhere, and you've got to make sure that you are protecting the fact that people need to have sunshine into their properties if they live next door to these, um, and that it is making the most of our transport uh, use. So it's not quite as blanket as what you're saying, John, but where it makes sense, yes, I do, because I want affordable housing. How can the government promise sunshine? Uh, by, by if they're desperate, they will. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, 
John, district plans have always done that. What you say is that you can't build a house or a dwelling next to, your neighbour can't build something that's going to block out all your sunshine. So if governments didn't do that, I think we'd have riots in the street. Thank you, Megan Woods, Politics Friday. Jerry Brownlee, thank you for you as well, and uh, have a good weekend, both of you.